Week seven, your modern family. You guys ready? Well, that was a weak response. You know what? I know that we've been holding up this ideal of the perfect modern family, and some of you are guys, all right, can you move on, please? You know, I, but, but here's the thing. I asked your permission early on to hold up God's dream, and yes, there are moments when we look at the dream and we say, you know what, we're kind of off the mark, and so this is the no-guilt zone. We're actually talking about the rest of our life and how to get on track and how to make the next years of our lives the best years of our lives. And my goal for me, I hope it's your goal, by the end of this series that you will say, I wanna be a great son or a great daughter to my heavenly father. I mean, if, I, if we could accomplish that one goal over these seven, eight weeks together, that you would say that's your goal, it will change every relationship of your life and it'll change the way you relate to your mom and dad, it'll change the way you relate to your children and to everybody at your work. And so that's the big heart to get across to you, that you would become a great son or daughter. And that means this applies to everybody. It's not just for married people. But today we want to talk about what do you do when you've blown it. All of us have made that moment where our emotions got the best of us and we blew up and we made a mistake or we went the wrong direction and now we're trying to put the pieces back together and how do you do that? So looking ahead, when we designed this series, I knew this would be a weekend where I wanted to be a good dad. I wanted to just be with my family and spend time with my daughter, and we planned it out that Pastor Jared Moore would deliver the content for this week. And let me tell you, he's doing an amazing job. He is our executive pastor. Pastor Jared came to us two years ago with a call of God in his life, and he's been through all of our all of our. Uh, church planting assessment. He's been through all of our leadership training, and he's one of the finest leaders I've ever had the privilege of serving in all my years of ministry. I wish I was as capable as he was when I was his age. And so it's my honor to have him share this message today, Pastor Jared Moore. Give him a great hand. Well, I am really excited to share this, this talk with you today. Um, this has just been honestly, an incredible series for us. I mean, when, every time I get the opportunity to hear Pastor Darren talk about parenting and uh, being a great husband to his wife, I mean, I can't take as many notes. I mean, our pages are full, and we'll go home at night after Saturday night or Sunday morning, and my wife and I will talk about it, and then we'll talk about it more in our small group. And this has been an incredible series the last several weeks of of really how to, how to be great sons and daughters, how to be full of um, gratefulness and respect, integrity, and purpose and passion. It's been an incredible series. And I was talking to Dave Kurtz, our, in charge of our care ministry this week, and he's like, Jared, you would not believe the amount of information, the amount of people that are writing in and saying our marriage relationship is on another level. My kids and I are connecting now in ways we've never connected before. I mean, God is doing a deep work in the life of his people in this church, and we're so excited to see what God has been doing. But as Pastor Darren just mentioned, right, we've been holding up this dream, but the reality is, is that you and I and everyone around us, we have moments that we wish that we could redo. Isn't that right? There's moments that like, oh, if I just would have known, if I just would have had a moment where I was a little bit smarter, I wouldn't have done that. I wouldn't have said that. I mean, the truth is smart people do dumb things, right? Smart people do dumb things. I'm a relatively smart guy. I really believe that. Um, but I still say things that, oh, as soon as it comes out, I wish that I could just take, that I could take in. It's like being at the hospital. And after Grayson was born, I was on my way back on the maternity ward and, and met this woman and her husband, and she was clearly pregnant. 
And I said, oh, this is so exciting for you. Congratulations as you go in to have your baby. And this is a great moment for you. How many kids is this? This year, first, second, third? How many kids? And you know, it's just awkward silence. And I'm just, this is really exciting for you. She goes, um, I'm not pregnant. I'm like, really? Really? As smart as I think that I am, I still say stupid, stupid things. Smart people are sometimes dumb. You know, wise people, wise people are sometimes foolish. Isn't that true? I see something on the TV, I'm like, I have to buy that. If I buy that, that's going to make my life so much easier. In a moment of impulse, I spend more money than I really should, and in a moment, I make a foolish decision. And then two weeks later, I'm never using that thing that I bought. Because sometimes I make foolish decisions. And last week, Pastor Costin actually brought this down to parenting, right? That it's foolish to provoke your children to wrath and to anger. It's foolish, mom and dad, to do things with your teenagers. You can't treat your teenagers the same way that you treat your two and your three-year-old. You have to be into discipline differently. It's foolish to continue to treat every kid the same way. We've learned a lot about that over the last several weeks in this series. Wise people sometimes do foolish things. And also, this is what I know, sometimes godly people do sinful things. I do this. I I know I shouldn't do something, but then I do it anyway, and I say, all right, God, I will never do that again. And guess what? I do it. So, all right, I'm going to start over. All right, God, I'm never, never, never going to do that again. And then I do it. And then I make a new deal. And I said, I'm never, 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 I mean it this time, never going to, don't look at me like that. You know you do the same thing. All of us have done that. We all make that, you know, wait, why? Because sometimes smart people do dumb things, wise people do foolish things, and godly people do sinful things. Like dad. I mean, you say something to your wife and to your kids in a moment of outrage that has damaging effects on their egos and damaging effects on their emotional well-being, and you can't recover from it. We did a dumb thing. Mom, wife, we say and we act like everything is fine. In fact, when someone asks you, how's everything going, you're like, fine. But you know there's this resentment and bitterness that's building underneath until there's this eruption of emotion, and you say things that you can never recover. In fact, everyone around you begins to walk on eggshells because they don't know what's going to happen next, and we have a weak moment. Or student, your parents asked you and actually told you not to do something, but in a weak moment you thought you knew better and you did it anyway, and now you're in so much trouble and now you're in so much damage that you can't recover from. You had a weak moment. Why? Because sometimes godly people do sinful things. Or employer, right? You, you have a team around you and in a moment of high stress when the pressure's on, you begin to act in a way that it's confusing to other people and you lose your cool and now the respect and the trust that you have with your employees isn't there. You have a weak moment. When you're caught red-handed in a lie, when you betray your wedding vows that you've made, we all have weak moments, right? All of us as humans, I don't need to tell you that, you already know this, we all mess up. We all wish that we could take another swing and call a mulligan and set the trajectory anew. But here's what we know. Human logic, how we relate and how we handle a moment of mess up, when we handle a moment where, we, where we've blown it big time, is different. How we handle that is different from the God of the Bible. When someone blows up big time, what do we normally do? We shun. 
We withdraw. Sometimes we even sever a relationship altogether and say, well, uh, that's the way I'm not going to do it. But here's the difference between our human understanding and the God of the Bible. There's a God of the Bible who wants to take, I want you to catch this, he wants to take even our worst moments, those moments that we wish that we could redo, and he wants to turn them into something beautiful. He wants to take even that moment that you're ashamed of that you haven't told anybody about. He wants to take that terrible moment and turn it into something into something beautiful. There's an incredible example of this in the Bible. King David was an incredible man. In fact, at an early age, God set David apart and anointed him king of Israel. And it was confusing to those around him. I mean, David, right? This, this shepherd, I mean, why? But, David, but God said, I, you, it's confusing to you. I don't choose as men do. I look at the heart. David had the courage to take on Goliath. But everyone else was afraid to step up to the plate there's David putting on just his sling and goes and faces this evil tyrant and kills Goliath. No one else would. David had the courage. I mean, David had the honor to sit and to be second chair to, to Saul, an evil man. He had the honor to fulfill the vision that Saul wanted to accomplish. And even David had the opportunity to take Saul out and to put himself on the throne, but David had enough honor to wait and let God do his thing at his time. I mean, David is an incredible person. In fact, if you go to 2 Samuel chapter 7, you get a glimpse of just the relationship that David and God have together, this covenant relationship that's, that's under the surface here. In fact, I'm going to read that to you because it's, it's helpful for us to set the stage really of, of who God is and, and how he relates to us even in our moments where we mess up. Look at 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 9. This is God speaking to David, and it says, I have been with you, David, wherever you've gone. I have destroyed all of your enemies before your eyes, and I'll make your name as famous as anyone who has ever lived on earth. I mean, we're still talking about David several thousand years later. I mean, that's just prophecy coming true. We're still talking about David. That's the relationship that God had with David, this covenant relation. I'll make your name as famous as anyone on the earth. And I'll provide a homeland for my people Israel, planting them in a secure place where they'll never be disturbed. Evil nations won't oppress them as they've done in the past. Starting from the time that I appointed judges to rule my people Israel, I will give you rest from all of your enemies. Furthermore, the Lord declares that he will make a house for you, a dynasty of kings. For when you die and are buried with your ancestors, I will raise up one of your descendants, your own offspring. I will make his kingdom strong. He has this covenant of saying, David, this, this relationship that I have with you goes beyond just yourself. In fact, I'm going to make you as famous as anyone who's ever lived, and I'm going to set up a dynasty in your name. In fact, the coming Messiah will actually come from your line. That's the relationship that I'm having with you. That's the covenant that I'm starting with you. I mean, David was an incredible person. He was smart, he was wise, and he was godly. In fact, the scripture says that he was a man after God's own heart. An incredible person. But in a moment of weakness, here's the difference. In a moment of weakness, David, who was smart, did a stupid thing. David, who was wise, acted in a foolish way. And David, who was godly, became sinful. We all can relate to that, right? Maybe you're like David. Maybe you have it all. Maybe you have a great family, a great career. Um, you have money in the bank, and you have a great trajectory for your future, and everything's going the way you thought. But there's this maybe one issue that no one knows about. You've been keeping it a secret. This is kind of the thing that David happened, because David, 
who was supposed to go off to war in a moment of weakness stayed home and he was on his roof and he saw a woman called Bathsheba. And David called for Bathsheba who was married to Uriah. He called for her and Bathsheba came to him and he slept. He had an affair with a married woman. Bathsheba became pregnant. And as David, doing what was right in his own eyes, actually brings Uriah back and says, all right, um, go home, enjoy your wife, and do the things, come home for a respite, and then go back off to war. But Uriah had so much honor that he didn't do that. He actually stayed at the king's palace and said that'll take care of itself. And when David understood that things weren't going the way that he was manipulating and trying them to work, David became even more desperate. A good man who who was now an adulterer put Uriah on the front lines and had him murdered to cover up his weak moment. So David, who was a great man, a man of courage, honor, had a weak moment that had adultery and now murder, a moment of weakness. We can relate to that, right? We've all had a moment where we wish we could do something over. And Nathan comes to David in that moment and says, David, look what you've done. In fact, tells him a story. And David begins, the blinders begin to come off, and David begins to see what he's done. He sees his sin. He sees what he's caused. He sees his adultery. He sees the murder that he's called. And David falls on his face in Psalm 51 and begins to cry out to the Lord. If you want to recover, if you want to go from that place of despair, that place of hurt, that place where unforgiveness and move to, a, to recover, the spiritual road to recovery, David lays out for us in Psalm 51 in his prayer a way that we can recover after we've blown it. I'm excited to share this with you because this is going to be helpful and freeing as we take the, even the blinders off of ourselves for just a moment. And we become clean and we understand the path that God has for us, how to live in the sweet spot of God's success for our life. Look at what he says in Psalm 51. David begins. He's been confronted with Nathan and now he gets clear. And, and in your text, in your, in your Bible, the, the italicized portion under the verse, uh, in the Hebrew, that's actually the first verse of, of the Scripture. Our English translators decided just to make that a subscript and italicized in the first, the second verse in the Hebrew actually is the first verse. So our first point today is going to come out of that inspired Scripture right under the verse heading. It's the Psalm 51 for the choir director, a Psalm of David, regarding the time that Nathan the prophet came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. And we're going to go back to Psalm, or 2 Samuel 12, 13. Or 7, 12, 13. This, is what he, this is what David said. He wrote, I have sinned against the Lord. If we're going to recover after we've blown it, if we're going to take that next step and, and get right, the first step for us is this. We have to come clean with God. Just as David, who, it was exposed, the blinders were off, he fell down and he came clean with his God. He didn't make excuses, and the first step that we have to take is to get honest and get our mistakes out in the open. And here's why we do that. Here's here's why that's important for us, because we can't address something if we're pretending nothing is wrong. Isn't that true? We can't get over the hurdle of our relationship damage if we're pretending that we didn't cause any damage. And we can't get over and restore the relationship and even restore the hurt that we've caused if we're pushing it under the rug and acting like everything is okay. If we're going to recover, if we're going to go to that next level, we have to just come clean and be honest and open and admit that we've messed up. 
I, I, I get it. I hear you saying, well, Jared, that's just so much easier, right? That it's a great idea. Just come clean. But if, Jared, if I do that, it's actually going to cause more damage than, than good. Because then everybody's going to know about it, and now it only affects, well, actually, Jared, nobody knows about it right now. But if I do that, I'm going to lose trust. And, but Steve Arterburn, right, the president of New Life, he speaks for us a lot here. He, he wrote a book, Seven Ways to Spiritual Recovery. And in his book, he talks about this very thing. If you haven't read that book, I would encourage you to read it. But he, he addresses this very issue. I'm just going to read it because it's so good. He says this, that people don't come clean with God because of three things. Number one, because we're afraid of losing our reputation and being publicly exposed. He writes, the fear of being publicly exposed keeps us awake at night with a feeling of dread. But it's better to be found out and even have a damaged reputation than to allow the venomous secrets to poison our relationship with God and with others. The things that we're keeping quiet, the things that we're afraid to get out in the open, dad, wife, child, student, the things that we're afraid just to bring to the surface and just admit and come clean with are the things that can destroy our spiritual health and can destroy the relationships with those around us. It's true, when I'm keeping something from my wife, even if it's not, it's a good thing, she knows there's something there. We're, there's a blockage, and that's the same kind of idea with, with our Heavenly Father. When there's sin and we know about it, if we don't confess that, there is a block with our relationship with Him and even with our relationships with those around us. David gives us the blueprint and says, hey, come clean because forget your reputation. And David understood this probably better than anyone. If I come clean, the, my, the people that report to me, the, the army, those around will know what I've done. And he had so much to lose. But David came clean. Don't be afraid of coming clean and losing your reputation, being publicly exposed because the opposite of that is allowing the venomous secrets to poison your relationship with God and with others. It always turns out worse later. The second reason he says don't come clean is our fear of losing our favorite sin. Isn't that true? We know that if we come clean, we realize that we can't keep doing the things that we've been doing. If we get it out in the open, there has to be a change in our behavior. We have to maybe end that relationship. We maybe have to end that self-destructing habit that's causing turmoil and causing pain. If we come clean, we have to stop something that we enjoy to do. And the Bible even mentions that, that sin is pleasurable and fun for a season. We have to come clean. Then he mentions the third reason. We fear of admitting it because we're afraid to lose our security. Because oftentimes our emotional and even our financial security is linked together. And naturally, because of that, we fear confession. Because confession will bring change, and change in that moment may not seem good when we think about the emotional aspects and the financial aspects that are intertwined with that. But here, here's the difference, right? We fear that, but here's where faith comes in. Because faith, it's going to take faith for us to just submit and say, God, I know this plan that you have, and for us to recover spiritually, for us to recover after we've blown it, we, we need to admit that. It takes faith for us in knowing that God can take even our worst moment and take it into a beautiful thing, that we can trust him with the outcome. We can trust that he will, as we heard earlier, not leave us and not forsake us, that he's there and he's sticking closer to us than a brother. That's the idea that there takes faith, even in our worst moments, to realize that God can take that and turn it into something beautiful. 
Come clean with God. Come clean and admit and say, God, I, I've messed up. Remember, God doesn't treat us the same way that we get treated from everyone else. God can take that terrible moment and turn it into something beautiful. Come clean with God. Then he continues in verse 1. And here's the second point. He says, have mercy on me, O God. Because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. David gives us four verbs for us to do. He says, purify, cleanse, have mercy, and blot out. This is what I like about David. He's not cutting a deal here with God. He's not saying, all right, God, if I do this, then you do this. He's not even making an excuse. He's not saying, all right, God, if you compare me to Saul, I mean, Saul's way worse than me. I'm actually really good compared to him. He's not doing that at all. He's just saying, God, blot me out, cleanse me, wash me clean. And here's the interesting thing. This, this is going to be freeing for you this morning. I really, I'm excited to share this because there is nothing that we have to do. We don't get forgiveness because we pray one more prayer. We don't get forgiveness and ask for forgiveness and it's given to us if we do one good thing and it outweighs the other. Because the truth is, is we're never ever going to meet that standard. We, we say this a lot here, right? You can't even meet your own standard, let alone that of a holy God. You know that. We don't have to stand up here and tell you that. But, but here, here's the incredible thing about our God. David says, wash me, cleanse me, blot me out, purify me. Not based upon anything that he can do. He says, because of your unfailing love and because of your great compassion. There is nothing that David has to do. It's because who God is. God will forgive you. God will meet you where you are. Not because you're anyone special, but because it's who God is. Because he is a God who oversees everything and oversees everything that you've done and says, regardless of what you've done, I love you anyway, and I'm going to extend incredible compassion upon you because I love you and because I have a good plan for you and because I want you to do this future that I have for you that you can't even see yourself. And David says, God, wash me, cleanse me, blot me out, purify me based upon who you are. David came near to him. David got real. David had that moment and just said, God, here I am. Cleanse me, purify me, blot me out. I have a two and a half year old. I, I can only use certain illustrations for a little bit longer because it's eventually going to get to that point where she'll start knowing that I'm giving her illustrations and she's not going to like that. So in the moment, I can still do this. I'm going to take every advantage of it I, that I can. She's a great kid. And she is really a great kid. But there's moments when I look into those brown eyes, I see a sinner. I mean, just a... <laughs> Just a sinner. She knows exactly what to do and how to do it and exactly how to push my buttons. And you know, the other night, Amanda and I are, are sitting in our living room having a conversation, and all of a sudden, Grayson, our one-year-old, and Gianna are playing in another room, and we hear this. I mean, clearly somebody got hit. And then I hear Grayson fall and cry and major sobbing, and I walk in, and John's like, um, he fell down. I'm like, well, that's true, but why did he fall down? I'm like, Gianna, did you, did you hit him? No, Daddy, he fell down. I'm like, Gianna, why does he have a big bruise on his arm? What, what's happened to him? No, Daddy. So at that moment, right, I have to address the disobedience, the lying. I have to address being mean to her, her brother. I'm waiting for the moment. I'm just waiting for this incredible moment for Gianna 
to run in after that and say, Daddy, I was dumb, I was foolish, and I was sinful. <laughs> and I hit Grayson, and I'm sorry. I didn't, it was a bad, it was a mess up moment. I'm sorry, I wasn't thinking right. Now, she was to do that. Would, would, I, would I respond to her like, oh, I can't wait. I'm going to get you big time. I'm going to get the spanking. You're going to get a spanking. You're going to get everything taken away. You're going to bed right now. Well, of course not. If she came to me in that kind of spirit and admitted a mess up, what would I do? I would do the same thing that our Heavenly Father does to us. With unfailing love and great compassion, he brings us, right? And he corrects us and he says, God, this is the new path that I have for you because he can take even our worst moments and turn them into something beautiful. Just like you would for your child. That's our Heavenly Father. Isn't Isn't this freeing today to realize that we don't have to do one more thing? That because of who he is, we can ask for forgiveness. Let's continue. This is so good. Verse 3. He continues and says, For I recognize my shameful deeds. They haunt me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say. And your judgment against me is just. For I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. Did you hear what David's doing here? I mean, David's just going one step further now, and he is owning full responsibility. And if we're going, so if we're going to recover, if we're going to recover spiritually, that's the next step for us. We have, to re, we have to own the responsibility that's ahead of us. Because our sin that we create doesn't always affect just us, does it? It affects many of those around us. When we have that moment where man, we wish we could take those words back, we wish that we didn't respond that way, we wish that we didn't even do that thing, it doesn't affect just us. It affects those around us. And David understands that and says, hey, I'm going to own all the responsibility here that I have. It took Nathan, the prophet, to come to David and say, David, you've messed up. You've sinned. And as soon as David became aware of that moment, became really aware of his blind spot, David fell on the ground and owned the responsibility for what he's done. And we all have blind spots, don't we? We all have blind spots. Um, think, think of a blind spot as like your zipper being down. Uh, everybody knows that it's down except you. You're the last person to know about it, and by then it's too late, right? You just have to own it. I was literally in church in Michigan, um, and it, it, was, it happened to me. So I'm, so I'm sorry, folks. All of you are laughing, and I just caught a breeze. Um, it's, I, my zipper is down. You just have to own it. My wife has been telling me this lately. I, I have a nervous tick. I, I do this a lot with my nose because my wife constantly tells me and says, Jared, you have things in your nose all the time. And I'm afraid that everybody sees it except me. I can't see what's happening. And so I, it's a nervous tick. People are like, what's, is he okay? Like, no, my wife has me freaked out that I have <laughs> things in my nose. It's apparent to everybody else except for me. And we all have blind spots. David had a major blind spot. He, he, had this, he was doing right in his own eyes. He thought, I can maneuver, I can, I'm, the king, I'm the king of Israel. I have the authority to do whatever I want to do. And it took Nathan bringing this to light and saying, David, actually, you're the man. You're the one who's messed up. You know, Jesus in the Gospels, if you think about this, Jesus never tells us to be, he, he uses the word be aware a lot. He never tells us to be aware of committing adultery. He never tells us to be aware of lying, to be aware of stealing, 
Why? I mean, because when you're doing those things, you know you're doing those things. But just, hey, be aware of a covetous heart. Be aware of selfishness. Be aware of pride. Why? Because we can't see that so easily. Because we think of ourselves better than, than we really are sometimes, don't we? And it takes people to bring that to light, to actually turn the mirror and say, Jared, you are full of greed. You are full of selfishness. You are full of pride. It became so clear to me a couple weeks ago. I'm so thankful for our small group. And if you're not in a small group, I would encourage you uh, to get in a small group. Because when true Christian community is happening, you can be real and you can be honest together. Not to tear each other down, but to build each other up, to be the church. And a couple weeks ago, I'm in small group. And you know, as a pastor, people look at me like, hey, what's he going to say? And hey, there's that moment of awkward silence. You know, we all have it in our small group. And they look at me to, to, to break the silence. And, and after service, or after after our small group, someone comes to me and says, hey, Jared, can I just can I talk to you about something? I'm like, oh, yeah, sure. What's going on? What's the Holy Spirit saying to you? Thinking that I was about to help him through something. And so I just, I just need to be honest with you about something. He said, your sarcasm, I mean, you, you say things sarcastically to your wife and to your kids that you would never say to anybody else. Like, Whoa. It was so true. My mind raced back in, in that small group, and I caught myself like demeaning her sarcastically and talking about my kids. Just, wow. I mean, it took somebody to, I'm just being transparent. I hope that's okay. I, I, I just, it took somebody just to turn the mirror and say, Jared, look, this is, this is a major blind spot in your, in, in your life. The moment that that was revealed, I went to my wife. I said, man, I'm so sorry. I don't want to demean you in front of people. I don't want to be sarcastic with you in front of people. But it took someone to, to reveal that, to open that up. And as soon as that was revealed, we own the responsibility. And that's what happened in David's life. If we're going to recover spiritually, if we've blown it big time, when, 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 when we understand our, our, our blind spot, when we understand that moment of weakness, we have to own the responsibility for what we've done because our sin doesn't just affect us. It affects those around us. So come clean with God. Ask for forgiveness because of who he is, not because of what you can do. Ask for forgiveness. And number three, own the responsibility. Now David makes a shift. He, he turns it in verse six. Follow along with me. This is where he makes the shift. And he says, but you desire, God, honesty from the heart. And that's really what David's been doing the last six verses. He's been totally honest with, with him. He's saying, God, I, I own it. I made a mistake. I'm asking for forgiveness. You desire honesty from the heart so you can teach me to be wise, move from foolishness to wisdom in my inmost being. He writes, purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Give back the joy again that you've broken in me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep me. Don't keep me looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. Renew a right spirit within me. Don't banish me from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me again the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. David becomes so positive in this language because this is the, this is the interesting thing. He's putting the past behind him. He's saying, yeah, I own it. I messed up. I had a weak moment. I'm putting that behind me. I'm asking God. Here's the cool thing. I'm asking God 
to give full forgiveness. I'm accepting the forgiveness that's being offered to me. I'm moving on. I'm not going to allow the sins and my mess-ups to haunt me and paralyze me in fear and keep me in bondage. I'm going to move forward and ask the Lord to create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. And that idea of to create in me, that's, David's actually asking for a miracle. To create, bring back to life, do something that can't be done on my own. Bring to life a new creation inside of me. Bring me back the joy of my salvation. He's asking for these miracles. In the moment we want to recover from what we've done, we have to just accept the forgiveness and the cleansing that God is willing to offer us. David says, I was dumb, I was foolish, I was sinful. But God, I want you to create a new creation I want you to do a miracle. I want you to give me a steadfast spirit. Don't cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. He says, create, renew, restore, sustain. He's asking God. He's really praying. Maybe this is our prayer today. He's really praying and he's saying, God, I want to feel your presence like I did before. I want to feel it when I first believed. That thing that I continually do, those moments when I'm foolish, those moments when I'm sinful, I don't want to do them anymore. I want to bring me back to that moment that I first believed. I want to see you work, he says, in ways I've never seen you work before. I want to worship you and sense your love, appreciation, and affirmation and joy in my life. I don't want to be just cleansed. I want to be filled again, filled fresh and new. The same as David prayed and the same forgiveness and cleansing that David received. Here's the incredible thing for us. The same forgiveness and cleansing that David received is attainable for you as well. It's attainable for me. When we own it, when we ask God, when we come clean, the forgiveness that's available to us to take our worst moments and to make it something beautiful is right there. We have to reach out. We have to grab it. We have to take it to the next level. And, and David, in this incredible snapshot of his life, lets us see a glimpse. Just create in me a clean heart, O oh God. Renew a right spirit within me. You know, the truth is, is David still had to live with the major consequences for what he did. His son died. There's major divisions in his family. But even though David had to live with those consequences, here's the thing. The covenant that David and God had back in 2 Samuel chapter 7 was still fulfilled. David still led a mighty nation. David still did some incredible things in the nation of Israel. And Bathsheba, think about this. Bathsheba, the one that he committed an affair with, was the great, 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 so many greats, the grandma of Jesus, the Messiah of the world. God took David's worst moment and turned it into something beautiful. Not plan B, plan A. And today, maybe that's you. Maybe there's just something that even nobody knows about. You're the only one. Or maybe only a few people know about it. And you're saying, Jared, I've, I've blown it big time. Wow. Whew. 
It's there. And Here's the thing. You're going to find a God, because of who he is, because of his unfailing love and his great compassion, that he wants to forgive you. And he wants to move you from fear and regret to hope and to purpose. He wants to take that worst moment and to create something beautiful with it. Accept God's forgiveness and cleansing. There's this prayer that we're going to pray. It's actually Psalm 51, um, 12. In the same prayer that David prayed, I believe it's our prayer today. This is the same prayer that you can pray, that I can pray. Even in those moments that dad, you, you wish you could take back. That mom, oh, there's just that thing. And, and student, even. There's no, you just don't think there's any hope around you. But once you accept God's forgiveness and you learn how to forgive yourself, and realize because of who Jesus is, you can come to Psalm 51, 12, and you can set a new trajectory for your life. Listen to this. Make this the prayer. We're going to put it on the screen behind me, but make, make this your prayer this morning. David writes, Create in me a new, clean heart, O God, filled with clean thoughts and right desires. Don't toss me aside don't banish me from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit away from me. Restore to me again the joy of my salvation, of your salvation, and make me willing to obey you. Will you bow your head and close your eyes this morning? In the quietness of this moment, what is the Holy Spirit saying to you? I want you to know here that in this church, None of us here are perfect. All of us have areas in our life. I just was honest with you. I'm not the best husband that I always should be or the best dad that I always should be or the best pastor that I always should be. But even in my moments of weakness, even in my moments of, man, I blew it, God wants to take those and turn them into something beautiful. He wants to reclaim them as only he can. It's because of his unfailing love and because of his great compassion. Our worship team is going to lead us in a song. It goes along right with Psalm 51. Our prayer team is going to be able to get in place. And, and this morning, if you need prayer for any reason at all, we want to pray for you. We want to pray with you. We want to pray for you. And as our worship team, as our worship team leads us in this closing song, the Holy Spirit speaking to you, we invite you to come and we want to pray with you. No one will look at you funny. No one will look at you strangely. We know that the Holy Spirit's doing a deep work in your heart and in your life. So here's our prayer this morning. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, our prayer comes from Psalm 51, 12. It says, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Don't banish me from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit away from me. Restore to me again the joy of your salvation. So Holy Spirit, I pray for every person who's prayed that prayer from Psalm 51 today. Thank you that because of your unfailing love, because of your unending mercy, and because of your great compassion, that you want to forgive us, and you want to take our worst moments and reclaim them for yourself and turn them into something beautiful. We thank you and we praise you that you want to take even our worst moments and take them something new in our lives. We praise you, we honor you for the work that you're doing. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.